have a situation. What is it? I I've been watching, uh, you know, the movie The Big Short, and then my my mortgage renewal is coming up, and I'm panicking, and I'm not sure what to do because everywhere I turn, I think I'm making like the wrong decision. Well, that's what usually is with the the average, or even the above average person. When it comes to mortgages, you're just lost. Everybody's lost. I don't know what I'm doing. It's so much money. That's why we've got the one to go to, Phil Craig. He's a mortgage broker in Ottawa that will get you an unbelievable deal. Have you heard of him, Jay? I have, but will he let me like make it look like I made some decisions because you know I have my wife there and I just want you know make look look make it look cool to my kids that I'm I made the decision. Will he let me do that? He will let you sign. Even if you're not signing a real document, he'll slide you one over that says Jason, and you can sign right underneath it. And not only that, if you go see him, he will hook you up with three hundred dollars if you tell him the soccer snob sent you. Somebody's got to do this, okay? Please, someone move and do it for us, not for your family, for us. So he will get you a quick mortgage approved same day he's got no bias opinion because he's not affiliated with any bank phil craig mortgage broker look him up he will get you the best Limniatis. Mike Lanos is a good friend of mine. He gave me your contacts for, for, uh, to get you on the show. Now, here's a 2020 question. If your phone rings and you do not know the number, are you answering the phone? Uh, nope. Because <laughs> yeah, he gave me your phone number and email address, and I thought to myself, who calls anybody nowadays? Well, me, because I'm useless when it comes to other stuff. So, I mean, I'm one of those... <laughs> All right. So, Steve, soccer snob number one. I park a snowmobile on your driveway tonight and throw you the keys. Can you get to Montreal in one day? Oh. As a man, I want to say yes. <laughs> like, so uh, everybody listening thinks I'm tough. I have some self-doubt with that question. I'm not quite sure. I, I don't have a snowmobile or anything. I've never really... I'm not but, a real man either. There's no, no I feel like I'll run out of gas. I won't know how to get there. I'll be on a highway and I'll stall. Like, I don't know. <laughs> as, yeah. as long as I have food with me, I'm good, guys. <laughs> I'll make it. Perfect. So here it is. It's John Limniatis is our guest today. He began his pro career in 1987 with the Pioneers in our hometown of Ottawa in the uh, Canadian Soccer League. He became, this is something I didn't know. You were the first ever Canadian to be sold to a European first division team. Like 50, that was sold 50, like 50,000. That's right. 
50,000. In today's day, that's a $150 million player. <laughs> <laughs> Limniatis, you played professionally in Greece with first division side, Aris Thessaloniki. Did I hit that? Very well done. Wow. Wow, Mark. Wow, wow. For four years. Okay. Then you came back to the impact in the summer of 93, remained with the club until 98, which another thing I didn't know here is you're a member of both the Canadian and Quebec Soccer Hall of Fame, but more interestingly and, and cool is you're the first and only soccer player to be inducted in the Quebec Sports Hall of Fame. Oh, wow. Very cool, huh? That you're currently, very... you're the TD of uh, Lakeshore, correct, right now? Yes. Wow. So that was a mouthful. <laughs> um, after this, he's going to uh, solve uh, climate change. So <laughs> with all that said, here's uh, John Limnias. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. And this was everything that you said was 60 pounds lighter. <laughs> okay? I'm 60 pounds heavier, which is not good. Yeah, no one's buying it for 50000 anymore. Oh, no, that's for sure. I was sold like cattle back then, you know? You know what? I'm just impressed that Mark actually pronounced the Greek name so well because we had Bunbria, Alex Bunbrion, and he butchered Maritimo or Maritimo. Or yeah, like, you oh. butchered it too, yeah. Yeah, you were yeah. killing it. So that's good. You get some street cred for that, Mark. I got to start, yeah. and I held the question off from earlier. I was a young kid in the stands of the Pioneers games when you were there and the Intrepid, and I'm positive, and this speaks to how much of a nerd I think I am, I've got probably 57 John Limniata signatures in my basement in a box of like <laughs> soccer stuff. After every game, I was that kid going up to you That's asking for like autograph. That's what I like to hear. Yeah, it was brilliant. You were you were a legend back then in those days with the Intrepid. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't. It was the first, uh, my first professional contract. I was what? I was 19 years old, I think, at yeah. the time, or something like that. Yeah. So uh, it was extremely exciting for me, uh, you know, being in Ottawa. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great town as far as I'm concerned. I had a good time. The guys stayed together. We usually stayed in the same house or in the same area. Cool. We had a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed every minute of it. I only, I only played a year, uh, season, yeah. just a little bit yeah. in the second season. And I left, but uh, I always keep in touch with the guys. I love the town. Cool. I love my time there. How did it happen? Awesome. Yeah. How'd, you, how'd you get pulled into Ottawa? How'd that connection happen? Well, it, it was just they had a draft. Back oh, then, okay. uh, yeah, they had a draft, and and um, I also played at the time I was with the national team. Okay. So we also played, I think, an exhibition game in Ottawa versus versus uh, I think it was Sheffield Wednesday or wow. or something like that. Yeah, and uh, I was picked as one of the three. Uh, I guess Ottawa probably had territorial rights for Montreal because Montreal didn't have a team at the time. The team came in the second year. The Supra came in the yeah. second year. That's right. So, yeah, three or four of us from Montreal yeah, played for uh, for Ottawa, and I got drafted uh, going there. And it wasn't, you know, in the beginning it wasn't much, but they quickly uh, realized what a big star I was, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to stick with the with the CSL for a sec. There's so many people that we've spoken to since we've started this show that talk about the CSL, and you've played in the CSL, you've coached in the USL, you've you've been everywhere. How does the C? I know it's hard to to rank generationally, but yeah. the CSL seems to be spoken of like it was a different level. Like there was real players there. Yeah, it, it was good simply because there was no uh, there was no other league above. It was the only league in Canada, and there wasn't much going on in the in the United States. So for Canadian soccer, it was the only thing that was there. So all the good players of Canadian soccer, 
you know, guys like, uh, you know, you take guys from Dominic Mobilio to, uh, to Jerry Gray to whoever else that played in the, in the 86 World Cup. They all played in this league. So it was quite competitive. Yes, it was a little bit, you know, uh, uh, a bush-looking league in the sense of uh, yeah. not big uh, stadiums, yeah. uh, things like this. But from the quality perspective, as far as Canadian soccer is concerned, all the best players of Canada played in the league. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Vic Router, we had him on a couple of weeks back. Yeah. And he, had, he couldn't say yeah. more nice things about it. Like, And he's seen, you know, so many games. And... Uh, up to now, yeah, it, it, was, it was super. I mean, Vancouver, the yeah. Whitecaps at the time had all kinds of players from David, uh, from Dale Mitchell to Carl Valentine to, like yeah. I said before, John Catliffe. All, all yeah. the national team players and all of the best players in the country played in that league. That it, it yeah. was clear, and the rivalries were very good. Uh, and yeah. then when Montreal came into the league the following year, the Ottawa Montreal rivalries, the Toronto uh, Blizzards, Vancouver, yeah. and all that stuff, it, it was great. And uh, we yeah. all knew each other because most of us played on the national team at the same time. Yeah. So going, you were here for a year, year and a half, you said, and then you got purchased by a Greek prem, like you know, first division team. So I know nowadays it's agent this, agent that. Your how on earth did that move come? Uh, did that move come? Were there agents back then, or were you looking no, to move? No, or? no, it, it was actually. Um, uh, one, I have Greek citizenship. I, I was born in Greece, so that wasn't an issue of, of, of playing there as a foreign player, uh, which was, of course, was a big help. Uh, what happened is in, in uh, the second year, in 80, uh, I think in 88, in the summer of 88, in the beginning of the summer of 88, or, or sorry, 80, something like that, 87, 88, yep. we played uh, Canada, the national team. We played the Greek national team yes. here in Montreal at Claude Robillard. And uh, it was, I just started playing, like I said, I was 19 years old. Uh, I was in the youth teams of the national team, but I started playing uh, right after the World Cup in 86. That was my generation that came in uh, to the national team. Uh, so I played for the national team. I was, you know, I was, a, so at that time, was a good player. I played, uh, in fact, and they had named me, uh, Tony Taylor had named me captain for the game. Hmm. Uh, and it was here in Montreal, which was amazing, amazing which was my hometown. Uh, Claude Robio was packed. They realized that there was a Greek. They didn't know this before. There was a Greek-Canadian playing uh, for the national team, myself and uh, Pierre Sanatopoulos at the time. Okay, yeah. So uh, I played, uh, you know, I played quite well. Uh, then we ended up going to Toronto uh, to play in a tournament, the Sir Matthews Cup, or I don't know what it was called exactly. Uh, and we played uh, Greece again in the first game. And then again, in the final and what was going on which i didn't know is there were reporters uh, here from greece and apparently they made a big deal out of a greek canadian playing on the on the national team and i happened to to play quite well in all of the three games that i that i played and it just went on from there i, I had no clue really what was going on in greece as far as the papers you know because they're crazy about soccer and it was the full uh, greek national team that was here and then I met, uh, I got to know some of the players because obviously I spoke Greek. We sat at the same hotel in Toronto. Uh, and then one of the coaches, which ended up being my future coach when I went to where he was there, which is Alkis Panagoulias, which is he's American. He's an American Greek. Okay. He actually coached the American national team and the Greek national team. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he came to watch the games and boom, he saw me. And uh, we met a little bit there and then it became crazy for the next uh, two or three weeks because... The Greeks don't even know the concept of uh, time change or the time difference. <laughs> the 
clueless when it comes to that stuff. So I had five clubs actually that would very wow. yeah yeah and um, and I knew nothing. I had no agent. Uh, I was you know I was quite young. Uh, my cousins in Greece, because my entire family, I have some cousins in Ottawa, in fact, even today, but my, uh, my cousins in Greece didn't really know me as a player, uh, so they didn't, and they didn't really know much about soccer, because I have a cousin in Greece that played professional basketball, but oh, wow. he didn't, uh, well, we're a super family, eh? I didn't tell you. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and, and I didn't know much about it, so I spoke to them directly. Uh, you know, obviously, Greeks have a different mentality when it comes to some stuff. They were a bit more, they were direct. Uh, yeah, or, yeah. You know, I was kind of caught back a little bit. Were you so, negotiating for yourself or did you yeah, have a... I actually was, yeah. And, wow, not, uh, not a father, cousin, nothing? No, no, I didn't have anybody wow. and uh, my parents didn't really know much about it. They were wow. telling me directly. Uh, there were some issues. Yes, there was, uh, there were some people that wanted to become my agent because they found out about it but they were money-grabbing uh, people. They didn't yeah. even know me. Yeah. Uh, they wanted to show the Greek team that they know me, but they didn't. Hmm. Uh, so there was a couple of things like this that, that um, kind of came up. But what helped me uh, in all these negotiations and my price went up for me personally mm -hmm. because there were two or three other teams involved. Yeah. So what was happening is one team was calling me, they were telling me, okay, we'll give you this much. And then another team would find out because they were reported in the paper in Greece and they would tell me, well, we'll give you this and a little bit more. So I got paid, uh, or I got per not purchased, because that price came when, once yeah. I settled with a team. Yeah. But me personally, it got better and better without me doing anything. Wow, it's like a little bidding war. I didn't even know what the, the salaries were in Greece. I had no idea Jeez. what contracts was like. That's I mean, incredible. I knew Greek soccer from yeah. what I knew as a kid, but I didn't, I didn't really know. So the price went up because... They were fighting amongst each other. And the, and the funny thing is, is that uh, I later found out that they had some of, you know, some sort of a bidding war between a couple of teams before, uh, between IEK of Athens, yeah. the, the two teams that, that remained at the end. It was Iris, the team that I went to in IEK, and wow. IEK had a lot more money. Yeah. So they kept bringing up the price. But the reason I went to, uh, to Iris is because it felt a little bit better, uh, like the mm -hmm. conversations I have when the coach had seen me play. So I felt a little bit better. He was also a Greek American, so he kind of knew a little bit yeah. uh, our culture, uh, both yeah. you know, our cultures. And they also sent somebody here, uh, one of their executive board members, they sent them here to meet me and my family. Oh, well, so there I, you go. You know, I found that a bit, even though I was a much bigger team, mm. uh, and, and you know, they, they won actually the, the four or five years that I was in Greece, they won the championship. Uh, three times I came, but you know, I got a little bit, you know, I felt a little bit more sentimental if yeah. you want to put it that way. Yeah. They took care of you. Yeah. And it was, and it was in a city that I've never been before. I mean, mm. I grew up in, in Athens. I came here 10 years old. I've never been to Thessaloniki. I didn't know anybody in Thessaloniki. I just went there uh, to play. And this is how it really uh, came about. It was, you know, uh, by playing with a national team. And, and, and like I said, the contract negotiations kind of happened on their own. Because later I found out, and in the paper, in the papers, was there they're, they're crazy about. Uh, obviously did you guys that tournament you were talking about? Did you guys beat Greece? Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. yeah I think you won it, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, well. yeah, we lost. Uh, we lost one nothing here, but yeah. this was an exhibition game per yeah. se. We lost, I think, two or three nothing in the first game in Toronto. Yeah. yeah. But then we beat. It wasn't one of those goal differences. Like if we beat. The other team, yeah. and they beat the other team. We went to the final, so we beat. I think uh, I think it was Peru. 
if I'm not yeah. mistaken, or Chile, one yeah. of those. And we ended up going to the final and we beat them in penalty shots. Yeah. And I'll tell you guys a great story. Uh, yeah. You, won't, you probably won't believe me, but that's okay. <laughs> not a lot of people do, so it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> We went to the we went to the the penalty shots in yeah. the final. Yeah, uh, and uh, I was of course being very cocky and very confident. Uh, you know, I picked up my hand. Uh, I, I would take a penalty shot for sure. Yeah. I don't think even the coach asked me. He knew <laughs> that I would. That I would. That I would. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we won in penalty shots, and uh, I was the only uh, Canadian player that missed his penalty shot. The goalkeeper uh, saved it. We won in penalty shot, but I was the only miss. Um, the goalkeeper saved it, and the goalkeeper, which was one of the greatest goalkeepers ever to play uh, in Greek soccer, and then I went to play against him yeah. uh, a couple of months later. Uh, he happened to be, when he started out his career, he was much older than me. He started his, out his career in the town that I lived in in Athens, in an area of Athens that I lived in. No. And as a little kid, I used to go to the field all the time oh. and hang around the players like a little rat. So, yeah, so because you know, being outdoors in Greece at the time, we were everywhere. You know, yeah. it's not like you're scared to, for your kids to go out. We were everywhere. Like I would leave home in the morning and yeah. not come back at night, and I was eight years old. You know, <laughs> so I would go. To, it was a third division team, and I would go, and I would actually—you won't believe this, guys—I would actually take shots on goal on him when I was eight years old, and it oh. ended up being the same person in goal <laughs> facing me, Canada against Greece on a penalty shot. That's incredible. Did you Did, bring it up to him? Yeah, I spoke to my brother, absolutely, because I saw yeah. the guys at the, at the hotel uh, at the Delta, I think, in Toronto. Yeah. That we stayed together, and I spoke to some of them, and I did speak to him, and it, it, was, it was incredible. And like I said, he played for Panathinaikos at the time. He was really a really good goalkeeper. And we ended up playing against each other and standing next to each other in the tunnel wow. at the Olympic Stadium in Greece a month later. Wow. So for me, it was, it was, it was an incredible, incredible story. He cheated, by the way. He was he took two steps forward. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, he needed VAR back then. Of staying on the line back then, so yeah. <laughs> so you know that's why I missed because me I don't miss for any other reason. I miss somebody else. Cheating. Of, of course, yeah, we right. we already knew that, uh, John. We knew you would See, never miss without know. cheating. And you know what? The only thing that could have made that better is if he turned around to you and said, "I remember you as an eight-year-old rat. I knew which way you were going to shoot." Slap like me in the face on top of it, you know? <laughs> but, um, no, but it was. I'm, I'm telling you, it was a true story, and it was incredible. Wow, that is incredible. so cool. That is so that, cool. That's crazy. What's so? We when uh, Steve mentioned earlier, we talked to, to Alex Bunbury, and a big problem when I, whenever I heard you went to play in first division in Greece, I thought to myself. He, Bunbury had a huge problem in West Ham because the Canadian calendar was so different than the Did you have to leave for long periods of time to play for Canada or did you stop playing for Canada at that time? Was your club no. pissed off? How did that go? No, it was, it was, it was really, really difficult because um, yes, like Alex, they thought Canadian players uh, didn't count for anything for one. They thought we, you know, they used to call, they used to call me an Eskimo in Greece. <laughs> they knew the word Eskimo. So they used to call me I'm an Eskimo. Uh, but at the same time, I was on the national team. I did do quite well when I went to Greece and, and uh, you know, I played all the time. Everything was going well. The coach uh, trusted me, so it wasn't an issue. But at the same time, just the distance alone, yeah. uh, traveling back and forth and playing on Wednesday, as an example, I, I remember many times uh, and I would meet guys in London airport like Alex, for example, because he flew from Portugal, we would go yeah. through the same way. Uh, and, you know, playing a game in Vancouver. Uh, so I would have to play on the Sunday because back then 
we didn't have multiple games and you know we didn't play on Mondays you know we're talking about many years back right yeah so we played on Sunday Sunday was the big day of playing so what happened is, is that we I would have to leave right after the game and fly out through mostly London Airport Heathrow Airport which I, I knew the cleaning lady and the, and the guy at the, uh, the coffee shop because I spent so much time in, the, in the, that place. Um, and we would, you know, I would have to fly in overnight, uh, get into Vancouver as an example on, on, uh, on Monday or sometimes even Tuesday morning and play on Wednesday. And I remember one trip that um, I had to go, uh, we were playing in Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. And I flew from, from where I was from in Greece uh, to Vancouver or to Toronto, and then we went to Costa Rica. We played on a Wednesday, and my club, because we played again the following Wednesday with the national team, but my club insisted that I went back to play on Sunday. Huh. So me and Randy Samuels, I remember, were the only two that our club said, there's no way you're staying there. You're coming back to play on Sunday, wow. and then you'll go back. So we flew from Costa Rica on a Thursday after the game, Played on Sunday, came back on Monday to play a game on Wednesday in Vancouver. Holy cow! Yeah, I mean, it was it was, you know, it costed a lot of money to the national team. For yeah, one. Uh, the traveling and two, it was it was it was exhausting because yeah, uh, my club, you know, they knew I wanted to play for the national team. There wasn't an issue, but they wanted me to play on the Sundays because then they're used to not having players leave. Yeah. For a week or two or three, right? Yeah. You would play your your international game, and then you would be there to play the next. on your club game. And yeah. in this case, we had a game the following Wednesday because we played Wednesday Wednesday on a couple of occasions following each Wednesday, right? Jeez. So I I couldn't, you know, my club wouldn't accept uh, me being there for that long at each time. So I had to go back and forth in quite a few occasions, and obviously the travel. And I can tell you guys, me, I, I can't stand planes. It wasn't something that I liked at all. Yeah. So even a bigger issue uh, for me. Mark, I'm going to steal your question. I'm sorry, because I already know this is the only question he told me. I'm going to steal it now. So you, you yeah, said yeah. your generation came. All the time, so don't worry about it, man. It's perfect. I shouldn't have said it, just taking credit, and everybody could have commented how smart I was. In 87, you, like you were saying to us earlier, uh, John, your generation sort of came in a bit after the 86 World Cup. Yeah. Um, so we wanted to ask you, and, and I'm going to sort of paraphrase it with your last answer. You know, in 87, you guys didn't get, you didn't qualify, you didn't follow up on 86. I'm wondering if what you said, uh, it seems like a lot more players are starting to, t- like Randy Samuel, yourself, Bunbury getting into Europe and that travel. And I'm assuming the Canadian team in 86 weren't all over the place like that. It, it, was there any, no. was that a part of it? Or why, why did you guys build on that success after 86? Well, that's, that's a great question. I mean, everybody spoke, uh, yeah, <laughs> everybody spoke, Mark, that's a great question, Mark. Um, <laughs> Yes, I mean, everybody in Canada thought that after 86, soccer would just, you know, explode. Yeah. The problem is, is, is obviously we're a huge country. That's yeah. one problem. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the money and the culture was not in soccer at the time here. That's no. for sure. Yeah. And we started after 86 because a bunch of guys from the 86 team in the World Cup went to Europe. And then a few of us followed after that. So, I mean, at the time, I remember by in 1990, uh, we were only, what, five players, I think, at the time that actually played in Europe. Hmm. Uh, we weren't many. I mean, Frank Yallop, uh, Craig Forrest, uh, Paul Pescicolito, mm-hmm. even Alex Bumbry wasn't in Europe at the time. Yeah, wow, well, that's right. Later. It went much later. Yeah. So, we weren't many. So, we were kind of starting uh, to go. Okay. But 
like I said, the money, uh, you know, hockey, which is a great sport, uh, you know, people were not really into it. And that's why the, most of the leagues at the time did not succeed because you needed money and people were not into uh, giving money for soccer at that time. And we have evolved, but certainly not as much as we should have yeah. uh, after the 86 World Cup. And, and the other problem is, of course, is that we didn't qualify after that. I mean, yeah. we came very, very close. I don't know if you guys obviously know uh, the history of the national team at that time, but in 94, uh, we came, in 90, we came very, very close. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, in 94, we came very, very close. Mm-hmm. We came in with a game or a point uh, for making it. Yep. And because we didn't follow up, I think that also hurt uh, the situation. Because if we were to follow up, maybe yeah. 90 or 94. or maybe Built some momentum. Yeah, yeah, the momentum would have carried. And we were pretty good. Like I said, we came quite close Oh yeah, I was the just that yeah just that nineteen nine uh, the nineteen eighty seven team there when you came in I was looking at the starting eleven that that lost to Guatemala I don't know how like it's one of the best eleven players that have ever played for Canada it was so yeah. good I and it was just that those two games right it was just two games it was two games it was crazy well I, you guys you brought up something very bad because <laughs> I know. Uh, because in Guatemala, I played both games. Yeah. yeah. I started both games, and in Guatemala, we lost one nothing, and I caused the penalty shot. Oh. So uh, it's, it's not good. I'm not happy. I argue as much as I could. <laughs> but we actually, we were be- I, you know, I thought we were better. Yeah. I thought we were better. We missed yeah. quite a few chances in Guatemala, and we lost one nothing. And we got caught up uh, in the game here in, in Vancouver. They scored two quick goals that kind of shocked us. Yeah. And we dominated the game. We went up 3-2. And we needed one more goal to, uh, to qualify. Yeah. Uh, so it was devastating. It was really, really devastating. And then I think in 94 or 98, we came away. We needed a point against Mexico here. Mm-hmm. We needed to tie Mexico here. And we ended up losing one nothing to qualify. I mean, Mexico was certainly better than us. There, there's no question. I mean, they, it was yeah. almost impossible to beat them uh, in a two-game series. Yeah. I mean, it was impossible. Yeah. And there, it was impossible to beat them. And we took beatings uh, in Vancouver. They, sorry, in, in, uh, in Mexico. Here, we did okay with them, but it was still hard to beat them. And then you had the U.S., and then you had to compete with Costa Rica, the Honduras, you know, they weren't bad, yeah. Salvador, Jamaica, you know. Yeah. So it wasn't easy, but we did come very, very close. But because we didn't follow up, yeah, I the momentum. that hurt the situation, yes. Yeah, I yeah. think you're right. So, you're you ended playing with the national team around 30, correct? Yeah, I, I was on the the senior team or the men's team for 10 years. Yeah. Did you did you retire or did you just no, stop getting called? No, I didn't retire. Them? They just didn't take me back. You're still, you're still available. Uh, yeah, I was still available. I remember uh, I didn't get selected. I started not getting selected uh, because new coaches came in. They wanted to do a couple of different. I think it was the German guy. Oh, Holger Rosiak? Yeah, yeah oh. he came in and he had different ideas about stuff. So I went to a couple of camps, uh, but, you know, he didn't, uh, he didn't really like, I guess, uh, the way I played or there were other players that came in. Mm-hmm. So I was still available, but I was still, you know, I was, again, I was 30 years old. So I was yeah. a little bit older per se, but he just didn't select me and it, and it went on from, uh, from there. Yeah. So the time in Greece ended and now you go to Montreal. Yeah, Back, uh, I guess home, sort of, right? Sort oh, of yeah. home. Well, that's where I live. Yeah, that's where I yeah. live. Yeah, nine seasons or so. Okay, you retire in two thousand and one. So, 
From 2001 to 2008, you were, na- you were named head coach in like 2008, correct? Yeah. Were you involved in the club at that time, like behind the scenes or front office? Or what, what, what was those yes, seven I did, years? I did, yeah, I did. Um, I, came, I came back to the club, one, as the, uh, they, they got sold. I don't know if you guys know the story, but the, the impact got sold for a year. Uh, so the Sapporos didn't own it for one year. I think it was 1998 or 2000, something like that. No, okay. 2000 or something like that. And I don't remember the dates, I'm sorry, or the years. But they got sold to a company and uh, they, because the, the supporters were losing money from it. I don't think they kind of wanted it, something like that. So they sold to another company, which ended up bankrupting the team. So the supporters took it back the following year. And I had become the, uh, the general director of the club. Uh, and then, yeah, and that didn't go well because these people were, ended up being actually crooks. The company was an investment company that uh, went under and they had all kinds of problems. I think one of their director, in fact, I think went to jail for a bit. Uh, they had all kinds of problems, which we didn't know. And, and then I came back also later on as an assistant coach at one point yeah. uh, for a year. Uh, and then I was out of soccer because Valero, that, guy, well, that was the coach then, he didn't return, so I didn't come back either. And then I was out of soccer for a couple of years with my father-in-law in some business. Yeah. And then I ended, uh, I returned back to soccer as a club technical director. I became the regional technical director of Lex and Louis. And then from there, uh, I left that job uh, to become the, the head coach of the Impact huh. in 2008. Yeah, that's... I got fired in 2009. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's part of what I was, I was kind of bringing up. The Impact seems to me like there's a lot of promotion from within with the impact kind of up and then sideways and then down and then back again. And yeah, is that, is that a good thing or is that? It was a total disaster as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Uh, The problem was, see, the problem was that, that, uh, Joey supporter himself, uh, was very hands-on and he, you know, he was a guy that wanted the team to succeed wanted the team, the team to do well. He wanted to prove that he could be a good owner and, and represent his family name and, and yeah. have a professional team. Uh, for me, his involvement was way too much. Yeah. Um, he got involved in everything. Uh, he you know, he kind of did almost what he wanted and what he thought was, was best. Uh, I don't think he had the experience at the time uh, no. to be able to, to run a club. Uh, you know, so he... You know, they did a lot of things uh, off the cuff. Uh, they did a lot of things with emotion. Mm-hmm. A lot of emotion was involved. Uh, and they didn't, you know, there was never really uh, a structure. There was never really a plan on how to go every year with a team. And I'm talking also on the field. Yeah. Uh, there were higher coaches. If it went well, they stayed. If it didn't go well, goodbye, the next guy. And there was never really a plan from the club itself on how, what type of a team and what type of a club we want to be. Yeah. And, and like I said before, it was a lot of emotion. Joy was, you know, wanted to win all the time, uh, which wasn't possible. I mean, yeah. in, the, in our USL days, uh, we were by far one of the best teams in the league every year. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we, we probably had the highest budget mm-hmm. uh, in the USL at the time. So we were always good. But then if you didn't win the championship, it wasn't good. Yeah. And the turnover was humongous. I think Joy learned from it and has changed his ways yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, we were all very grateful to the Sapporo company because they kept the team alive. They kept For the sure. team going. 
but like I said, it wasn't handled as well. And there was, like I said, there was a lot of turnover, yeah. uh, a lot of emotional decisions. Uh, you know, it, it, they didn't have enough experienced people, I think, uh, to be able to, to help with these decisions. And, and the drive of joy wanted to win, uh, kind of, it wasn't good. It's great that you want to win. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes you need to build a team. Sometimes you need people to stay and work uh, for a few years to build something. And obviously that was the case because in the USL, we were just good. We were mm-hmm. just one of the best teams. But, it, but in the MLS years, you're not. No. And you have to build the team. You have to give people an opportunity. I mean, uh, Marsh, as an example, uh, who now coaches uh, in, yeah. in Champions League games, he yeah. was the first coach they hired, and then they said, we're going to keep him for three years to build. And yeah. then a year later, he was gone. That was my next question to you. His name is literally, it still blows my mind how, how you bring, uh, bring a guy like that in. and let Well, him he was in the beginning, Mark. He was in the yeah. beginning, so he really hadn't proved anything as a coach. But nevertheless, yeah. nevertheless, he knew the league. They announced that he was going to be here for three years to build yeah. the franchise on the field. And then after you know, one year, because they didn't like the results, which you don't believe it or not, that first year was one of the better years yeah. that the has had in the MLS. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was the first year, and because Joy thought yeah. that the team was going to do better, yeah. but he wasn't realistic. What, yeah. what he wanted was not realistic. Yeah. And he went after a year, and then they ended up paying two or three coaches at the same time. Yeah. Uh, then the next coach got fired after a year. The one after that was the same. So, you know, to me, it was... It was doesn't work. doesn't work. No, Sounds too, too involved, too micromanaging, you know. But not only that, we, the club never had a real philosophy on how it wants to be. You understand? You, yeah. can't, say, you can't say, I just want to win. Yeah, no. Not as everybody else, no? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you have to have, there was never really a plan. The plan was off the cuff. Uh, having a coach come in every year, what philosophy do you have in playing? Yeah. You know, every coach came in, oh, go coach the team. Yeah. Like when I got hired uh, in 2000, which I was, I was shocked. Because my relationship with uh, with the impact was not the best yeah. uh, throughout, uh, you know, because I'm, I'm I'm a guy. You guys don't know me, but you know, speak your mind. I yeah, I, I will say my stuff, and if I don't like something, I will say it. Uh-huh. And uh, I didn't like some of the things that were going on, uh, so you know, and I was a bit surprised that they, they came to me to to hire me. And when I got hired, I nobody even asked me about how I like to coach. Huh. Nobody asked me. They just said, uh, when I oh. met with Nick DeSantis and with Joey, John, we want you to coach the team. Go coach the team. And it's like, okay. <laughs> no, I, I just, and me, I didn't have that much experience in it either at the time, right? Yeah. So, yeah. But I found it odd that we didn't have more of a discussion on about, you know, how the team is, how they want the team to be. Uh, you know, I could have been crazy, right? I could have yeah. just gone and done yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. there was no discussion like that. Uh, wow. And no, there was nothing. I went in. Oh. I want to uh, jump in. I, I don't know if I'm going to take Mark off his track here, but I love, I love what you're mentioning, where you're going. It's some of the questions I had for you myself. So you're TD at Lakeshore. And I you spoke said, too much before, right? What, what's that? I said I spoke too much before about the the last, the last question. So no, you yeah. did it not at all. No, not at all. It was it got me? It sparked me. You said a lot of things that I'm like, yeah, this is what I want to talk to you about it as well. You you were Lakeshore. You said Lacsin Louis before. The... That's the region. I was in charge of of the whole entire West Island. In other words, okay. the club that I'm in. Yeah. 
now was yeah. one of the clubs that I was the regional. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so you're 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 like that's building stuff. So you said about the direction and the goals and the philosophy and what type of coach you are. I'm I'm a little bit shocked that Montreal never asked you when you took over. I think that's hilarious in a way the way he told that. You're a TD. What's the first thing you do? You take over Lakeshore. What do you do? You you jump in and, and what do you do? Like you're you, you, you're trying to you build to, this. The first thing you have to analyze what the club is like. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing you do is you walk in there, you ask questions, you ask people that have been in the club. How is it like? What's going on? How is it working? When I came to Lakeshore, I had experience in being a TD. Yeah, it wasn't the first time because I was the TD of yeah. the whole region. I was the TD of the club be- of a club before. That's right. So I kind of have, had experience. I didn't have experience that much of the area mm-hmm. itself uh, because I'm from Laval and all that stuff. But yeah. Uh, the first thing you do is assess the situation. Yeah. That's Great the first call. thing you do. Love it. Right? Uh, it wasn't a professional club. So yeah. it was a little bit different. You could have built things. You could have done things. It's amateur. So it, it wasn't the same thing. So the first thing you do, you do is you assess the situation. And then you try to, to do things according to what the culture is like, according to what the groups are like, according to what the teams are like. And then slowly you start to implement the things that you want to do, that you want to approve of, or you want to change. You, there might be things that you want to change completely. Of course. You but you can't go in and do it. a situation like this and do things before you, you learn what it's there already and how it's been working to make. You can have your own philosophy of things, absolutely. But you still have to first analyze what goes on. In professional coaching, when you hire, they know this before. Yeah, exactly. Right? So are they supposed Mourinho, to? When Mourinho goes to Tottenham, he knows the club. They spoke to him about it. He knows what's going on. Right. He has his philosophy. He won't go there if he doesn't implement his philosophy. So it's a different situation going into an amateur club like this. Mark, you had something to say. Going no, into- I was just saying Steve's mic is booming, so I want to I want to pull it down. <laughs> I'm so excited. I, I start yeah. eating the mic after a while as I get so excited. I told you guys, I'm very interesting, man. I'm telling no, you. you, you it is. You I love that fun. answer. I'm a bit fat, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but I mean, I'm an interesting guy. I'm a bit screwed up in the head. Everybody knows that. You're bouncing back and forth. You still seem agile. I love that answer about assessing and then implementing. Like, do you, do you like implement things like a mission statement for your club and things like that? Absolutely. Again, I didn't, I kind of didn't, you know, I wasn't a scholar. I, I, you know, I'm not a, I wasn't a school guy, meaning I went to only to high school after I started playing professional soccer. So school wasn't something that I was, you know, indirectly, I wasn't involved as much in it because I ended up being a professional player, very young, so, you know, it was a big mistake of mine because in return, my brother was a little bit older than me as a doctor. So uh, he was very big in school. I was very big in soccer. So I kind of didn't follow. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was a little bit naive when he came to that. But all of a sudden, I'm a professional player. Yeah. You know, what do I need school for, you know? Uh, so I, for those that are watching, uh, school is number one. Yeah. Like clearly number one, because anything can happen to you in the sport. I for was sure. too young to realize that I could have, you know, tore my knee or, or you know, do something that will completely uh, get me out of it. So, uh, you know, going into the club mm-hmm. and, 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 and doing these things, I didn't really know that you really had to put a mission statement or a vision statement and all that stuff. But clearly it was something that I had to do and I had done it before, but uh, you have to put it, you have to do it. You, you have to have this type of stuff in order for you to build. And, and this is what's great now. Uh, and I don't know if you guys, obviously, I think you know this, but this change is happening structurally in the Canadian Soccer Association 
as far as clubs are concerned, right? Yeah. Amateur clubs. Yes. And I like that part that they want to document or they want to have documentation of what you do in the club. Because all the clubs did whatever they wanted. They didn't yeah. really have no documentation. So the mission, the statement and all that stuff is something that you put in first, but those are only words. It's, yeah. you know, your yeah. statement can be really nice. Yeah. Your vision can be super because yeah. anybody can write a good vision sure. but, yeah. and a good mission statement. But you have to follow up. And this is where I am. I'm, I'm more on the, on the working part. Implementation. Yeah, then looking good in vocabulary. You know what I'm for saying? Sure. Uh, I, get where you, I get where you're going. Like I, I meant it as, I guess for me, mission statement is almost just like you're talking about your standards. You know, like right. there's a lot of clubs that pay, I think what you're saying, lip service to it and they yeah. could write it up eloquently, but it doesn't matter. I, I would be like you and Mark is the same. We're implementation type guys, but I want to know where I'm at and where I'm working. And I see some that work and some that don't here in Ottawa and wherever. You know, what are your standards? Are your standards like you accept players showing up halfway through a practice or, you know, all this kind of stuff? Like, I think you want to be implementing those things. And that's, that's, that's huge with clubs. Uh, my, unfortunately, you know, to some case, my standards are a little bit of an issue. And I'll tell you why. Because uh, sometimes I expect too much. I expect the standards to be a lot higher than there actually are under the culture of soccer in Canada. And that kind of uh, hurt me a little bit in the sense that I can't accept you coming late to practice. I'm sorry, I can't accept uh, you missing practice in a certain level. Huh? We're not talking about, uh, you know, we're talking about elite players that Lakeshore has. That's right. I mean, at the present time, especially on the girls, we have girls that play on the national team. So uh, it's, it's, you know, my standards, were, my expectations and my standards toward this were, were sometimes too high for people to understand. And I'm not talking about my quality. Of, of coaching. I'm talking about the standards yeah. that, that I couldn't understand that, you know, you miss a practice because it's your uncle's birthday. <laughs> no, I, I couldn't. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. You're a triple A player. You're an elite player. Yep. Uh, hopefully your uncle will live many, many years. So you can go <laughs> to another one, but a birthday doesn't really last. It's all day no. you can see him at night or you can see him in the afternoon and then go to a game. I mean, my parents, I, I don't think as a, as a young amateur player, I don't think I've ever missed a game, ever, ever, ever for anything. My parents will go on vacation. No, no, I ain't going anywhere. I'm staying right here because I'm, I'm going to play. So I had this mentality that was a little bit too much, per se, for people to accept. I had issues for telling people. How do you to balance it? Sorry to cut you off. How do you balance it, though? Because I, what, at least what you're saying with the late, I think we could probably all agree that's more of like a golden rule standard that you shouldn't not accept. But I mean, yeah. how do you balance your expectations and being a TD at a club in Canada? Well, I had to, I, you know, obviously I had to pull back in some stuff, even though I didn't want it because that was the reality. Because yeah. what happens is if players would miss a game or miss a couple of weeks or three weeks in the summer, uh, we didn't have, I don't think any club really has 50 players to choose from or 100 in a certain category. Yeah. So uh, I couldn't because a lot of them wanted to go on vacation during the summer. So we tried to balance the vacations out if we could. And then I remember I put a policy uh, for vacations in the summer, especially. And I had said to the parents, I brought all the parents in of the AAA teams. And I said, listen, guys, you can go on a two week vacation. You allowed for me a one week vacation, one week without any consequences of you maybe not playing as much as when you return or when you return. But as a family, you can take a month vacation if you want. But for me, your, your status on the team is not longer the same. Hmm. So you can go on one week vacation with no, I wouldn't say consequences. I mean, it's not that severe, but yeah. uh, it wouldn't change anything. 
But if you do happen to go on more than a week or two or three, don't come back expecting to, to, for things to be exactly the same as when you left. Because the other players stay here. The other player didn't go. And so it's, it's not the same. Even though I understood uh, you have to go on vacation. But I would tell people, look, your, your daughter or your son play AAA, right? If you choose to play AAA, which is the highest level, there's a commitment. Go on vacation in the winter when we don't have a season. Now, some people, because of the jobs, they couldn't. So yeah. I understand. Some people said, look, my vacation is those two weeks. I had no problem. But still, I had to have standards and a policy put in place. That's right. Because you can't leave it uh, a free-for-all. And some people were shocked by that. But you, you put it out there in black and white. Like, I no, respect it that. It was clear. Yeah. And if you don't like it, and if you don't, because I wasn't being mean. I was just trying to, to protect the integrity yeah. of, of what soccer is like and playing at the elite level. And I told them, if you don't like it, then, you know, you're free to go play for another club. I mean, yeah. I didn't mean it in a bad way, but this is what I would like to establish here. It can't be that you play AAA and it's just playing like any other uh, yeah. category that you do whatever you want. You know? What about... Um... In Ontario here, when we coach, um, it's I know it's different in in Quebec, but we're kind of at the at the youth age where Steve and I coach U nine, U ten, U eleven. We're You're in the kind CDC, of right. You're in the skill center. Yeah, that's right. And we we have these um, you know retreat lines. They're kick ins. There's no yes. throw ins and all this stuff. Is it? Do you run by the same mandate as that? Because we went to Laval in a, in a tournament last February with my U tens. And it was like, it was a free for all, you know, like yeah. there was throw-ins and there was nobody was very little kind of playing out of the back, no retreat no. lines. It was just chaos. Yeah. And I, well, I'm not it, saying one's better than the other. There's no, not, no. I mean, everybody has their own philosophy, but for me, it was a bit of a shock. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think, and I think uh, Quebec uh, has started to adapt some of these things. It's been a few years. I think it's been a couple of years now, at least in the outdoor leagues that we have the retreat line. When I, when I first heard about that, I was a bit in shock. Yeah. Okay. I said to myself, you need a retreat line? Like, what, 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 what does that mean? Like, your, your coach can't tell the kids just to back up and manage them. You have to put a line for somebody. So I found it very mechanical. I found yeah, it very uncultural when it came to soccer. Right? Yeah. But in our country, because unfortunately, we're getting better at it, but unfortunately, we don't have the coaches that are experienced enough to be able, and especially, uh, I don't know, you guys, you, you two guys are probably great. You're the best. Um, of course. Ever. Of course. Yeah. You've heard yeah. of us. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. So what I'm saying is that if I were to coach a 9 and 10-year-old uh, team, I would manage this. I don't need yeah. a, a line of confrontation. I yeah. would try to make the kids understand and play in a certain way, right? Yeah. So even though they're 9 or 10, because you can't get into too much, but to actually put something fabricated, uh, into the, the soccer, I find it not right for, for soccer. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with you. But at the same time, in our country, you do have to do that a little bit because you know you have the coach that's a, that's a real dumbass that wants to only win at nine or ten years old, yeah. and then he goes and does stupidities, yeah. and he kind of ruins the game. Yes. So these rules come in because of guys that acted smart or they thought they knew better, so they wanted at nine or ten years old to win. So they didn't understand the, the, the development of the game, which is, you know, of course, you need to build out of the back. It doesn't matter what the other team does. Perfect. You coach to play out of the back. You coach for them, your kids to get some culture, to, to touch the ball a lot, right? So you yeah. have other coaches, and that's the reason I think this is all happening, because the coaches were not good enough or experienced enough 
So we have to implement uh, unnatural rules, as far as I'm concerned, in soccer in order to battle and fix this problem. Right? Yeah. You think but it's now, also? Do you think it's also players, though? Do you think it's also? Do you think it's also like you were eight in Greece, running around the entire country, and your mom had no idea you're, you're, you know, you're on top of uh, the Acropolis or whatever by yourself? Like our kids, they're not out. They're not playing by themselves with well, the ball. You see, that's one of the issues that, that we have, and I don't want to get philosophical here, but one of the one of the big issues we have in in Canadian soccer is everything is structured. And in fact, it's way too structured. Mm -hmm. The freedom of play, the playing on the streets, the, the creativity, all of that stuff is gone away. So imagine you have to put lines or like kickings instead of throwings yeah. so that you can adapt things so that we can get better. Yeah. And yeah. those things don't ex they exist in other countries now, but they didn't exist before. And, and, and playing on the street. Uh, you know, we're trying to adapt, even in our club, and I know, I know throughout Canada they're trying to do it, is have some free play in training. You know, just let the kids play. Let them express themselves. Do not give them direction. Do not give them structure. Let them play. Let them express themselves the way they want. And that was the difference between me as a young player. And that's why, uh, I don't know if you guys know a little bit of how I was as a player, but I was quite different. Yes, and the yes. rest of the, are my teammates. Yes, that's why I remember you in Ottawa. You stood out yeah, that way. Yeah. I would dribble playing center back. Yes, I know? remember. And I thought it was fascinating. I thought it was fascinating. My coach, Bill Thompson, would pull yes. his hair. Like, I yeah. couldn't understand. Do you have Sandy Mackey with you as well? Of course. Yeah. So, see, I had Sandy Mackey as a youth coach, and I was watching Sandy you. Sandy was a, he's a, he's a cartoon character, guys. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> he's awesome. Yeah. They were, they were British, right? Yeah. And they had a, a different a way of style of playing. Yeah. And that was completely the opposite. No. Like I was you got so me in trouble, John. I, he put me sweeper on my uh, U13. I said, John, let me add us dribbling out of the back. Why can't I? No, no. They would freak. They, yeah. they, they would lose it. Yeah, but, he lost it. Yeah, but no, even with me. They couldn't, they, they didn't know me, so they were like in shock. <laughs> right? And, and, but I did very well. Yeah. So at the end of the day, they had to be quiet. You know, because <laughs> it works, yeah. it was good, no? Yeah, you, but it was a shock. So yeah. all of this, and that, and that mostly became, really, uh, from, from playing outside, I was very expressive as a player. Uh, I was very bold uh, as, as a player, even though I played in the back. Uh, but technically, you know, I was very good technically. That was very what good. separated me a little bit. So what, what do you... I what, a lot of confidence, so. Sorry, I want to know. Yeah. I want to know. I want to know what what do you do in your club for that? You spoke to it a little. You touched on a little with the free play. And I want to know from you as well. It's another one of these two-pointers I keep doing. What's a Lakeshore player like? What what kind of club standards do you want at Lakeshore? Like, what do you want? If a Lakeshore player walks into Ottawa and Mark and I see him, what do you want us to see? I want him to look like he knows how to play. It's as simple as that. Uh, I want him to know that he, he, he has a sense of, of, of uh, the, the, his position and he's able to play with the ball. Uh, I cannot, you know, not everybody's the same. And you cannot make everybody technically uh, super. Because for me, it's far harder to make somebody tech, uh, comfortable with the ball than it is to make them an athlete. Yes. Yeah. You understand? Yeah, so totally. a lot of people say, you know, develop, 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 develop. I also believe, especially in the, in the, uh, in the technical part, that it, it, you're born with it a little bit. Yes, it it comes within your soul a little bit. Yeah. So, but you can make anybody an athlete. You can make anybody uh, run. 
You yep. can make everybody understand the tactics, but it's much harder to make somebody a technical player or able to play with the ball and be more comfortable than anything else. Yeah. A lot of people don't agree with me on that, but for no. me, it's clear. But I, I want a lecture player to be a serious player when he's seen, knows how to play, but he's also comfortable playing. He's not, a, he's not just playing the ball anywhere and just chasing the ball anywhere and doing anything. And that's very, very hard. It's yeah. very, very hard uh, for that to happen because, you know, uh, there's only uh, a few of us per se that, that we've had the experience of playing at a certain level and coaching at a certain level. We're not better than others. It's just that we have experience and we try to implement and then they go to somebody else yeah. and then they don't do the same. So, uh, you know, it becomes, it's very hard for players here. You know, it's, it's uh, um, the size of our country and the large amount of amateur players that we have, which is a great thing. But at the same time, you can't control what goes yeah, on. You can. That's right. Right. And we're too big. Yeah. We're too big. And, yeah, and, and that's my, uh, yeah, that's where I want to circle back just a little bit with you, with youth coaches in general. We've had this conversation on the show before where, like you said, the numbers are so huge in each club that now we're almost pulling volunteers and unqualified no, you're coaches. Almost, you are. Yeah. You, you've always been. Do we need to pay all our youth coaches? To, do we need to train them? Do we need to cap numbers so that we don't pull in volunteers? Like, how do we deal with that? Well, I don't know. I don't think capping numbers is good. You have to accept everybody that comes in. That's for yep. sure. And I think the new, the new club structure now is kind of helping in that. I think that's good from that perspective. The problem is, is that you're, you're asking – we're still asking people that work, have a real job, uh, to go take courses on the weekend. Yeah. Uh, this, exactly. this children's course now, the new courses and the youth course, yeah. we're talking about 15 days of being, now it's on Zoom because of the situation of the pandemic. But if not, you have to be during the day in class. Yeah. And we still need people that are not full-time soccer people. We want to get to a point that everybody is full-time soccer. I don't yeah. think that's ever going to happen. No. But these courses are hard for some people to take them. They cost money. That's one of the problems that I have with this course. I'm taking the youth course right now because mm -hmm. I have to. It's, three, it's costing my club $3,000, guys. Hmm. So how many will I be able to take? 10 coaches and pay $30,000 as a club to take these courses that are very good? Yeah. So yeah. It, it, it all comes a full circle and there's a lot of obstacles towards it. And what the CSA wants to do is professionalize amateur soccer. And I'm really good with that, except that we cannot be naive to think yeah. that clubs can pay for this or people can take, yep. because there's a lot of good guys that are in soccer, that played soccer, that could coach, but they don't do it because they don't have the time because they have a real job. Yeah. And you can't pay in soccer somebody $100,000, and it's not, you know, in some cases it is, but very little for them to come and play or just sort of just come and coach and be. Uh, in a club so you there's should, a lot of obstacles there you should you get know? Saputo to pay for your 10 coaches ask him uh, <laughs> don't get me you know there's a lot of stuff about that but it's 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 an issue you know yeah. you want to professionalize things which I totally agree but you want to put the requirements you want to put this but it's very hard and you need volunteers yeah. and I cannot you know I like a, a person to coach but he's a volunteer what am I supposed to do guys yeah, and I force if I force him too much to go take courses, he's gonna say, John, I'm sorry, but I don't have time for this. You lose them. Yeah. So paying people need to understand one thing: is that I hate 
that kids play to play soccer. Yeah. I, they shouldn't. But the reality is they have to in yeah. our country. And the people have to forget, unfortunately, that soccer is cheap. Yeah, it's not it anymore. It be cheap anymore no. if yeah. we want to move forward. Unfortunately, I say this with a, I hate saying this, but that's the reality of it. And you have to pay. And if we don't start paying people more and paying even, even the coach at nine or 10 years old to come, and, and we're not talking about salaries, we're talking yeah. about paying for gas. Yeah, yeah. And their stuff. that's right. It's not going to work. Because yeah. volunteering is getting less and less and less and less every year. So unfortunately, costs of soccer are not going to be the same. And we cannot, we cannot do it in any other way because you can't have professionals without paying them. That's no. the whole point. No, I got to pay them better for them to stay. You, because right now, and I'm not dominating the conversation because that's no. just that's why we have you. Yeah. But the, the, you know, you take a girl that's, or a boy that's 16, 17 years old, right? Yeah. Would he come to work five hours a week at making $25 an hour? Or will they go out a store, work for $10 an hour, but work for 10 hours a day? Yeah, yeah exactly. You understand? And yeah. how are you going to pay a young, a, a young player, a 16-year-old or, or 18 years old, to $25 an hour when they haven't even done anything? They just, they're just a player. That's right. They haven't even taken a course. Yeah. <laughs> it was an hour, 30, right? So it, it, it's kind of hard, but yeah. both ways. And paying a, a young coach 25 or $30 an hour, where's that money going to come from? It's going to come from the kid paying more That's because right. now we have to pay somebody to keep them there to play. So it's, 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 a, it's a huge issue. Uh, money is always a huge issue. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, but if people for now don't understand that they have to pay more because we have to pay more to have people in, you can't do it. And I'm sorry, but uh, quality Cost. usually comes with a price. Not That's always, right. yeah. but usually comes with a price. Uh, and it, yeah. it's something that, that I, I wish players didn't have to pay. I, I want to put you on the spot. Sorry, Mark. I, I feel like There's I'm no jumping problem. in on you a lot. I want, and, you, and you can tell me you don't want to answer. You can just tell me to fuck off. Oh, but I will answer. Okay, perfect. So, is it too much? Like I find at least my experience from being here for years and years and years with clubs and a lot of them, and I'm not going to name clubs and whatever, but you see it with a lot. I see it with a lot. Once these kids get to 16, 17, they're no longer a, a financial asset. Like when there are 10 and 11, their moms and dads are paying hundred percent. They're 16, 17, they get to 18. They're going away to school. They need money. Now they need a job. So why are they going to come play for Lakeshore in the summer in the men's league or for your representative team? We talked about it on one of our other shows, how soccer in Ottawa, at least if we were, we see is our sort of men's leagues have died out. Our men's leagues used to be unbelievable. When I joined, there was a bunch of the uh, intrepid players because the league fell off. And all of a sudden our men's league is filled with these, CSL players, and now you don't see that. No one cares John about the Millis. men's. Mm -hmm. John Millis? Yeah. 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 He, yeah. he, he came into your league afterwards, right? This is it. And you're like, who the hell are we playing with? These guys are quality, you know? Like, yeah, of course. Quality. So you, you, don't, you don't see that anymore. And I know that was a product of a generation of a league falling, but, but it's like the business of a soccer club you're 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 not an asset anymore at 18 because you're not making money off that player but you've also had that person who's been a customer for 10 15 years and given you money so you know i feel like you owe that customer a little bit and i i feel like there's an issue there in my opinion uh you're you're 100 right 
but it's extremely, extremely difficult again on what I just said before yeah. is that you want to bring, I, I go ask all the kids that play 16, 17, please stay in our club, uh, come and coach our kids, mm-hmm. come and do this. Okay. Out of those, it's natural that some of them are in school, they're, they're too busy. Yeah. Uh, some of them uh, just are not interested. Uh, some of them can't, they, they, they're not, they're shy or the, their personality is, is, is yeah. not it. And then if the guy, if the, the boy or the girl that wants to come, now you have to end up paying them 20 or $25 an hour to come there because the 20 to $25 an hour attracts them because it's almost double that they're going to get working at, at, a, at a store at yeah. what is it, 10, $11 an hour. So they get more attractive, but you can't give them uh, 50 hours a week. You can't give them 40 hours a week. But not even coaching, John. I'm asking, like, as even as a player, if I'm a I'm a 17 year old player now, my team fees are a thousand dollars, and my mom's thinking that a thousand dollars has got to go to get you to into Carlton or McGill. Absolutely, absolutely, it's a problem. And and and, but in our country, this is how it is because the clubs cannot get money from anywhere. It comes. How does the CSA work, guys? Do you know? Do you know percentages? Do you know what percentages of each kid they get in order for them to function? If we didn't have a lot of kids in soccer, the CSA would be starving for money. Yeah. Uh, soccer yeah. drives, uh, sorry, money drives everything. Yeah. So rec soccer drives everything because the numbers are massive. And that's the problem. The problem is that everybody has to pay. Yeah. And how do you, and the men leagues here are the same thing. Huh? Yes. Don't, don't think it's just in Ottawa. Okay. It's the same thing here. The AAA Senior League, yeah. for example, that was so good before. It was. Because now they're trying to make the semi-pro league. Huh. Yeah. yeah. You know? And now they're trying to put the CPL league. So that's one of the reasons too. Yeah. The, the, because some of these players go play. There's comfort, yeah. There's actually yeah. more for them. Yeah. But imagine you're, you're 18 years old or 20 years old or 22 years old. You have to pay a thousand dollars to play, but you also have to work. You might have a family. You might have the, it's, it's extremely hard. Guys. It's, it's, it's really tough. Hard and I wish there was another way, but there just isn't. Hmm. Yeah. And, it, so we, and it hurts and it hurts everywhere. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Line. We could you go know? on about this and cause we, it's a, it's an issue that needs solving, but I don't think there is an, uh, there's no answer in this country. So everything, everything costs money. You know, people tell me about talking, you know, Oh, you know, it's getting expensive. Excuse me. Uh, my 16 year old daughter took dancing. Okay? No, that's another story. Stuff. You know, hip hop stuff, you know, great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so she went for twice a week for 10 weeks no, not ten weeks. It was a bit more. It was fifteen hundred dollars, guys. Yeah. And then you go and tell you go and tell, and they had to buy their uniform, their clothes for the show, and all that stuff. And then you ask somebody in soccer to pay a thousand dollars to play a whole year, and they freak out on you because yeah. everybody's used to it being cheap. Yeah. That's right. And you gotta stop with that business yeah. because we're not gonna move forward. And I hate saying this. Yeah. I hate it because yeah. I know what difficulties everybody has with their budgets and the economics and, and all that stuff. But you can't go any other way now. You yeah. can't. Yeah. yeah. So we mentioned the CSA and them, uh, them getting some percentage money here. I'm going to circle to the so CSA FIFA. now. We spoke FIFA to Charmaine Hooper. Okay. We spoke to Charmaine Hooper. She's awesome. Yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. She told us a story of how her and a bunch of um, uh, women's national team alumni wanted to go to a Canada game and they wouldn't give her tickets. Now, do, are you in contact with the CSA? Like if you, if John Limniatis wanted to go see Canada play, are you getting tickets like this? No, they don't do They don't do that. Apparently. That's crazy. Apparently it's not, it's not in the policy. I don't even know because I never even looked into it. 
Yeah. But I never did. What if uh, you went back to your Greek team? I went to my Greek team two years ago, and they had a guy come to pick me up from my house to take me to the game. See, this no, is this this know, is the other this is the no, other it's, thing. It's, look, it's 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 a look. I don't want to get into uh, too much with that. I, I don't really care. But I, I think the CSA makes a lot of errors. Yeah. Uh, and I give you an example. You said I won't say it. I called Peter Montopoli uh, about a few years back because a friend of mine from the United States called me and said they wanted to come and work at the World Cup, the Women's World Cup that was here, right? They wanted to get into marketing. So they said, they told me, John, do you know anybody at the CSA that I can call because I want to come to work for the World Cup and all that stuff? I said, sure. I called Peter Montopoli, right? I call up. This is the first time I ever called the guy, ever. Okay. Yeah. So I called the office in Ottawa. Uh, I, you know, the secretary picks up the phone. I said, can I speak to Peter Montopolis? Oh, I'm sorry, she's busy. Can I take a message? I said, listen, please tell him that it's John Lemiaris and I need to talk to him. <laughs> and, and, and I asked the lady, I said, you know that? She goes, no, no, I know exactly who you are, she goes. Okay. So she goes, well, I can leave a message. Can you just please tell him to call me back? No, 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 please leave a message, right? So I never got to speak to him directly. Uh, he did help me, he did, but he had somebody else call me to tell me to call that person. Now, I'm not saying the guy's not busy. I'm not saying the guy didn't have something to do. I'm not saying that at all. But I called you once in years about yeah. something. Yeah. 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 You know, even just calling me back to say, how am I? Or I mean, yeah. to ask you how you are, because I know the guy, you know, yeah. it was none of that. And when we, when we came here, I remember in 2008, when the, when the national team with Dylan Mitchell being the coach, they came to play at Claude Robert. And I was, yeah. I was there, uh, sorry, at um, the Sapporo Stadium. And I was the coach. Then I watched the game, but I've never seen, I've not gone to see Canada play guys. Wow. I, I, I don't think I've seen them playing years. Wow. And, and it's not like they, they come around here, they call up some of the alumni and say, guys, can you come around? Or can you, me you personally, should. maybe because we don't like me as much, me personally, maybe I've never, but it's never happened. It's, it's never, ever happened. And, and even, even, even the Hall of Fame, right, is with the CSA, but it's really not with the CSA. Yeah. It was really Ontario that kind of did it. It wasn't even really the CSA. It was the CSA, but not really. Yeah. In, in some stuff, I think they're getting better. But I don't know how much they've forgotten about guys in the past. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a that's big how you thing. Build the culture. Guys, guys in the past. Yeah, that's how you build culture. That's how you you know you well, see that's a, Bob, yeah. Bobby Charlton in the stands at Man United for the last fifty years. Like you, you've got them around the game. Doug Leash in Russia at all the Liverpool games. Like they're they're in a box. They they go see the players. Like it's a culture. Guys don't go too far. The impact is the same. It's not. It's not right. It's not right. We used to get tickets at one point to play as uh, to go. Yeah. As, uh, season tickets. Yeah. And they cut them off and they never told us why. Huh. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying I can't call the impact and say, you know, guys, I'm coming sure. to a game. Sure. I want to tickets. Yeah, but they will have to ask the other guy and ask the other guy and then ask the other guy and they get permission yeah. from the other guy, you know? So, and I don't do it because of that reason. Because yeah. I don't want to feel that I'm asking yes. to go for free. And every time right. I go to the impact games, uh, which I don't go that often, I go a few times a year, they don't know I'm there. I'm, yeah. I'm just like anybody else. I go yeah. sit, I pay. I sit in the stands and I watch the game. Well, that's your pride. And you shouldn't even have to be in that situation. They should that's just right. take care of it. Nobody, they don't owe me anything. I don't have to have free tickets. No, but it's a, the, to no. me, that's like, you talked about hockey earlier and, and like, that's culture. Like, I can't see Wayne Gretzky paying to go watch Team Canada. Yeah, it's crazy. So well, speaking of the impact real quick, the name change, what do you think? That's, I don't know. That's completely ridiculous, guys. I, I learned it myself through the media. 
because I don't, I don't know if you guys know, but I write for the French paper here. Yeah. Uh, I have a column once a week. Yeah. Believe it or not, French, uh, which I have a writer, by the way. It's not, it's not me. I'm the brains of the operation. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, uh, and and uh, what was I saying now? I was talking your about column, the name your French column, and the name change. Yeah, and I found out through the the some of the stuff that I get from the impact because I get the media re- releases or communications from from the, and I was like in shock. I said, "What change of name? What are you talking about? The impact has been the name itself, like it or not, has been around for 25 years. Yeah, why would there need to be a, a change of name? And you know what the other problem here is? Is that all of a sudden now the the government is having a problem." with changing the name because it's going to be Montreal FC and they think the FC is only English. Yeah. The government's getting involved. Yeah. <laughs> now the government's getting involved, but I don't know why they would change the name. Like I can't see, they changed the logo. I know when I played, the logo yeah. was a little different. Yeah. In the MLS, they changed the logo. Sure. But why would you possibly change the name? You I'm don't sure. have any idea why? I have no clue why. What about your theory, Mark? Yeah, well, the theory I heard is, is to... Uh to connect with the European market more. So when you're recruiting players, it's, it's more football to say Montreal FC as opposed Mark, to impact. Montreal, That's what they're saying. Montreal impact FC. What's yeah. the problem with that? Yeah. I, I, I'm not, I, I'm not arguing against it. I love the impact. <laughs> no, I've watched the impact since I was zero. I love it. I don't want it to change. I don't think People some know. kid in in uh, in Europe, in Greece, and in, in France, wherever, is thinking, "Oh, Montreal FC." They, they know it's Montreal. Yeah. They know it's MLS. FC Impact. They don't care. Guys, everybody knows the MLS. I'm telling you, people in Greece know the MLS. Yeah. They, do. they don't give they don't give a crap if yeah. it's FC or anything else. That's a completely ridiculous yes. uh, uh, theory. It's completely ridiculous. Good theory, Mark. <laughs> no, no, but he's right, Mark. He's right, but it's completely ridiculous. Just add the FC at the end of whatever you have, man. Yeah, What's I the agree. problem? I agree. I'm not, uh, yeah. What if so it's here's... Montreal FC slash CF, so it's bilingual? <laughs> I'm telling you, I heard this. Some people yeah, Oh, no, that, that wouldn't surprise. Yeah, that, nothing surprises me anymore, anymore yeah. with any of this. They think football club is, is an English name, but, it, but it's, it's more of a trademark than anything else. That's right. Yeah. That's right. No, it's not even. It's not even. Uh, it's a it's, it's a thing that's just called in soccer. It's not that's even. Right. Yeah. You know. So John, it's, it's crazy. Who is the best Canadian player you ever played with? Oh, I like that question. Uh, you know, I. You know, it's it's hard for me to answer that because you know there's all the yeah. good guys and and I don't like saying who's the best because I think everybody had their qualities, everybody had their yeah. abilities. The guys that I thought were, were quite talented was uh, Del Mitchell. I That's was, it. How many times, Steve? Everybody we've asked from Bunbury Mitchell, to Jerry Gray, Mitchell. everybody yeah. loved Dale Mitchell. Yeah, he, you know, he, I liked playing with him. I liked playing with a lot of guys. Carl Valentine, I liked players that liked to play. You know, I had difficulties with some others, and I'll, and I'll name them. I don't care. That I just That's couldn't good. understand, uh, you, know, uh, you know, playing with Frank Yallop, it was impossible. <laughs> How come? <laughs> Oh, the guy just he wouldn't make you a five-yard pass. <laughs> and I'm not saying he's not good. No, yeah. yeah. I'm just saying that I, I couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't match. Yeah. It was, yeah. His way of thinking was completely different than mine. Yeah, you know? born, yeah. Uh, as an example. And, and, and that's the problem I had when I played because that was, that's how they played. Yeah. And yeah. I was completely different. That's yeah. why Bob Leonarduzzi, for example, didn't include me in a lot of games because of that. You know? So imagine saying to a guy, oh, you know what? You play with the ball too much. You can't play with us. 
Yeah. I mean, I can understand that concept, but anyway. So, uh, again, I forgot what we were saying. Oh, the best player. Uh, Dale Mitchell, yeah, I thought he was very talented. Um, Valentine. Uh, Valentine, there was, you know, uh, Randy Samuels, even though, yeah, he was uh, you know, he was a very dominant defender, but, you know, he wasn't the most talented guy in the world uh, yeah. when he came to that, but he was a tremendous athlete that I appreciated. Uh, Lyndon Hooper. Yeah, Charmaine's brother is one of my best friends. We, we, we room together. I mean, the work that he did on the field, I would have to play 15 games <laughs> to run as much as you run in one. Yeah. So there's a lot of people that I appreciate yeah. how they work. There's others yeah. that I don't. Yeah. Guys that I appreciate. It doesn't necessarily make them the best. No, yeah, yeah, for sure. Playing, uh, with them. And like I said, don't make you Alex Bumbry was very effective. Um, yeah. Uh, what about what about against? Huh? What about against? Who is the best player you played against? Well, that's uh, that's kind of easy uh, for me. Uh, I played against uh, Detari, which uh, was one of the world stars. You guys don't know him. He was Hungarian. He played in Italy, and then he came to play against Olympiacos. He was a big star. Uh, obviously, when I played against Brazil uh, in the in the five game little series, we played Brazil, Morocco, uh, Spain. Uh, uh, Holland and Germany. Hmm. Well, just take any one of those guys, and that's my pick. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the Hungarian guy? I played against, play against Guardiola here in in uh, in, uh, in Montreal when they came to Spain. We played against Canada here in that wow. game series. And and the great thing is, I, I was able to change shirts with the guy. Wow. Oh, what was oh, the name of the Hungarian, uh, John? Sorry, uh, Detari. Detari. He was number ten. He played in in uh, in uh, in. Um, in Italy, he was, a, he was a big name. He was a very good player. But okay. that's in Greece. But here, like I said, when, with the national team, when we play against these clubs, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, yeah. Guardiola, as an example, wasn't even one of the best players on the team. Wow. We changed shirts, and I have his nicely and proper, and his dog probably wears mine. You know? <laughs> probably washes his car with my well, – somebody else washes his car with my shirt. Sticking so, you know, with this but, team. Um, yeah. Sticking with this team, I, I don't know a lot about uh, Greek soccer. So tell me, who's the best Greek player of all time? Well, that's tough, too. There's guys like Saravakos who played, uh, who was very good. There's guys like the goalkeeper that I mentioned to you. His name is Saganis. He was one of the best goalkeepers in Europe, actually. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's been a few. There's, there's one guy that's, that, for me, was a world-class player. Uh, played for the same team in Greece for 15 years. Huh. He was a Russian Greek. I can't. His name is way too long. Hadzip, his name was Hadzipanaisius. He played in the world team at one point. Wow. Uh, he was a phenomenal, phenomenal player that nobody knows, obviously. But back in the days, he played on the world team, their world selection team, huh. and he played back. Uh, you know, we're talking in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, you know, there's, there's lots of guys. And, and, I, and like I said earlier, when you asked me the first question, I, I hate saying who's the best player. I think there's a lot of players. Yeah. You know, now they ask me, you know, people ask me, Messi, Ronaldo. To me, that's all garbage, guys. Yeah, They're yeah. all super players. Yeah. What, do you mean, what, what do you mean you're the best? You know, what does yeah. that mean? Yeah. You know, yeah. you're, you're a quality player that's amazing. Yeah. And you, you, left, you leave behind a legacy of being one of the greatest players. But what does it mean being the best? You know, yeah. maybe best by position but not necessarily the best soccer player. Very ever. true. To me, that Very doesn't true. exist. There's yeah. no such thing. Yeah. Yeah. So here's a, a rapid fire question for you. Is it acceptable as you as a technical director, if you see one of your coaches coaching a session or a game holding a coffee? 
Is that acceptable? He better put it down. Somebody better tell him to put it down before I walk in and see him. <laughs> I'm so glad you Thank said you. that. We've, we've had this. Uh, it's, it's rampant here. It's not that I accept. It's not a point of accept. But if you wear sunglasses, you know, I had a young coach wearing his sunglasses when it was semi-sunny. Yeah. And he goes to me while well, it's sunny. I said, you better take off the glasses in three seconds. I don't even give you more than that. And if, and, uh, I'd rather you wear a hat. Yeah, a hat. I agree. Don't wear sunglasses. sunglasses. Why not you know? sunglasses? This is what my theory with if you're wearing sunglasses, you're, you can't connect to your players. No, but, but unless you have a problem with your eyes in the sun, I get it. But yeah. we're talking about it wasn't even that sunny of a day. It was just... <laughs> Partly sunny. This is right? standards then, right? Yeah, you don't. You don't, guys. Yeah. You don't. Even no. even a hat, really. But I obviously, know. a hat you have to wear. Yes. Because if it's sunny and warm, you have to. Of course. It's a half, uh, I agree, though. I totally agree. Yeah. No, and, and we have, like, in, in, in the courses, because I, I give courses for the CSA, the B license and all that stuff, and you see some guys coming to do a session with running shoes on. No. Oh. You wear soccer shoes. Yes, I agree. You're at soccer. Uh, wear the tools. Be use your tools. Yeah, no, because you're an example for one. Exactly. Show them what it guy, should look like. Yeah, we had a guy do a session. I remember in the course, and he had his phone change. He has his keys in his pocket, and they were bouncing around. <laughs> and he was given a session. I mean, no, no the poor guy. The no. poor guy. It wasn't his fault, really. Yeah. You know, we told him you, you can't do that. You can't. You, you know, you know, he was holding his pocket so things don't fly out. One so you, you, you do your, you do Lakeshore, you take over whoever, you take over a new club tomorrow. They These are rules. part of the standards no, that you no, would say? The rules. The yeah. rules are there. You write that out? Yes. I love that. Yeah. Love yes. that. One Steve's I heart practice, I have practice rules for the players and the games that, that's outside of them on the, 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 the field or training. Good. Like you have to come in, you have to go in the locker room, you have to change in the locker room, you have yeah. to come out as a team, you have to go back as a team. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of times the coaches just leave it be and I, and I get really upset, even Good though it's nothing. Even no. though really it's nothing. It's not, like, it's you know, standards. You're a team, it's like this. Uh, and, and you can't just, kids can't just leave. Uh, like I see a lot of coaches after games, yeah. the kids take the back and leave. No, no, no. You have to sit with them a few minutes, talk to them a bit, and they all leave together. That's so you have, so you have player rules and you have coaches' rules. Absolutely. Love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And they're all written down. Brilliant. Sorry, Mark. So we're going to we're gonna get to know uh, quickly, rapid fire, then we'll let you go. We're going to get to know John Limniatis in a, in a non-soccer way. Oh, well, maybe cool. a bit of soccer way. Did Don't you tuck your way. shirt? Did you tuck your shirt in in games? No, and I got yellow cards all the time for it. <laughs> because the, the tucking of the shirts came in, uh, uh, in later in my career. That's when they started to make a rule before yeah. it wasn't. And I would have it actually half-tucked. Yeah. yeah I was like Wayne Gretzky, you know? I would put half of it, and then it would come out, the referee, and then, you know, with referees, me, I didn't get along with So I did. I actually got yellow cards for it, yes. That's awesome. When you cut your grass, do you have a lawnmower bag on the lawnmower, or do you let the grass fly on the lawn? Uh, it flies everywhere, dude. <laughs> it's fertilizer. Flies yeah, everywhere. That's right. That's what I say. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Why would I have to pick something up that's natural that's on itself? That's I agree. Compost itself. Well, grass is on grass. That's the problem. We, we're on the same page here. Would you rather at Christmas eat the white meat or the dark meat? No, I'm a dark meat guy. Oh. I'm a pig. 
Yeah, the white meat, the white meat's too dry. You got to uh, eat it with like... Greeks, listen, when you talk to Greeks about food, it's another issue. Huh? <laughs> if, there's no, if there's no fat, a little bit of fat on the meat, it's, yeah. it's, they take it as tasteless. Garbage. Carpet or hardwood in your bedroom? Carpet, carpet blocks the noise a bit uh, better, but no hardwood. I'm good with hardwood. I like, I like that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Would you rather go up for a header against Drogba or Alan Shearer? Man, Alan Shearer has a big head. Uh, and and, and he's, he's, he's a tough cookie, man. Yeah. But even though Drogba is a... Because I met Drogba when we played against Brazil here last year at the Old Timers game. Yeah. The guy's a mountain. But I probably would jump against him than Alan Shearer. Nice. Alan Shearer is a bit mean, I think. Yeah, yeah I think so. Would you rather receive... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big head. Yeah. Would you rather receive a Christmas gift... In a gift bag or in wrapping paper? Just give it to me, man. I don't care about the wrapping paper. I don't care about nothing. Uh, all right. So we're going to, we always end off. No, but I take it as a waste of money. Just give me the damn gift. I don't need to open it. <laughs> I love it. So we, we always end off with a, a quiz. Uh, but before we get to that, you touched upon it earlier, John, where the culture and, you know, this whole of, having to ask for things we, we on this show, since we began, have, have loved to have guys like yourself and Alex and, and Charmaine and all these Canadian legends on here that it's so important for our listeners to connect with because there is that culture and you guys paved the way for these Jonathan Davids. And I've said it before, you can't appreciate the Jonathan Davids and Alfonso Davies without knowing the John Limniatis of the world. And it's a travesty that the CSA does not treat every alumni back. I can't believe if John Limniatis calls the CSA, everybody needs to answer the phone at once. That's the way you build a culture. And that's the way we need to progress in this country. Yeah. And, and, and I, and I, I gotta tell you this, there was, there was the ladies or some of the, the guys that worked at the office back then. And even when I played, I had very good relationship with those people at the office. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Dorothy Hickeys and, mm -hmm. and uh, women like that, that were there for 30 or 40 years. Yeah. I can call up now and say hello. So I did have, we, we, we were good, you know, yeah. it wasn't an issue, but there is to me anyway, because like I said, maybe they don't like me as much, but I have a disconnect really from the national team. And, and, you know, a couple of times that I hear people now, even when I watch on TV, the national team, and, and one thing that really bothered me is a few years back on, the, on TV, somebody said that this is the most talented Canadian team we've ever had. Well, I'm sorry, guy, but you need to go back a bit. Yeah. You know, can I can tell you who the most talented team in, in, in Canada was? Is the team that won the World Cup. Because until you go to the World Cup, you need to shut your mouth. Yeah. That's what you yeah. Do. And, you know, they spoke about uh, having the most talented team. What does that mean, first of all? And two, it's like you have to go back a little bit. Don't be disrespectful and yes. go back. Uh, and, and I'm not saying we were better or worse. I'm not saying that at all. But to go out and say you're the most talented team when you have not made the World Cup or you hardly win games, actually, yeah. Yeah. you need to stay quiet. Win the World Cup and they come and slap me if you want. And tell <laughs> me that we're the best team and I'll, and I'll, I'll say you are. You I got to I got to echo what you said, Mark. I, I, everything you said is true. And I agree with you as well, John, they should just like accomplish something and then maybe you can say something yeah. or just say less, but I mean, uh, I, I'm happy to see a guy the, like you. The national team now with John Herman and everybody goes, Oh, look how good they play. Oh, look how good they do. Oh guys, relax a bit. Yeah. Let's wait. 
I, I, I appreciate that you're in coaching. I appreciate your TD. I, 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 you need tons of guys like you to, if we're going to ever have a chance at solving some of the issues we, we, we brought up today, like it's not all doom and gloom. There's tons of positive in, in soccer. It is getting better. Um, I love that we talked about the issues and I think you need strong people like yourself who have standards and, and rules and it's, those aren't rules as in a school teacher and it's, it's a bunch of junk. It's rules for a reason to get to levels you need to get to to help but people. Steph, and I respect I'm, I'm that. An issue for, uh, but I'm an issue for a lot of people. So a lot um, of people... Well, that's the problem. A yeah. lot of people don't, don't really uh, want... Not want me around, but they know that, that something is going to come out of my mouth. They know that I'm passionate about it. They know that I'm aggressive about it. They know that I'm intense about it. And a lot of people can have, there's people that can't handle that. People don't like to be challenged, John, because they want to just sit in their chair and everything well, to be the, the same. That's the exact problem with the CSA right now. I think who takes responsibility? I, I haven't, for a very long time, yeah. I haven't heard anybody from the CSA take any responsibility of what has happened or any accountability. And I don't mean that for everybody, of <laughs> course. No. And I don't mean they're, they're not good. And I don't mean they're bad people. But no. when's the last time somebody took responsibility or accountability for something that goes on in the CSA? It starts from the top. Yeah. 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 Totally agreed. Totally agree. So with all that said, again, John, now, like we're so... You are yeah. at all with the CSA. Now it's never going to happen because of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I was like almost zero ever, but now it's <laughs> gone forever. But there's a lot of good people, guys. There's a lot of good people. Of course there is. Try really hard. I can't say. No, no, for sure. I I hope people take that the right way as well. I would agree with you. Like, it's the same for us. You know, if I'm running for CSA tomorrow, I I would hope what we said today doesn't go too far the wrong way. But there is a lot of things to improve. And we're pointing out some of the the issues that need to be fixed. And and it takes brave people to say it. Everybody has something to improve. Everybody. Of course. No, no, yeah, that's right. You know, that's right. I, I talk to you. Who makes what makes me right? What makes me know that I know what I'm talking about? You know, it's it's it. It all depends. The only difference is there's some credibility that comes, of course, and some experience that comes behind it. But that doesn't mean you like what I said. It doesn't mean you agree with what I said. Nor do I have the answers to every problem, which I don't. I absolutely don't. Yeah. 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 So with all that said, we're gonna hit our quiz real quick. That's. Uh, completely unrelated to anything. Oh. So I'm going to ask I'm the, John. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, guys. Maybe you'll say something. I have no clue what you're talking about. You know what? These quizzes, John, are, um, they borderline ridiculous and stupid. So, so that's me. That's yeah. just me. <laughs> so John, real important question here. How many venomous snakes are there in Canada? Jesus, Mark. Zero. Okay, Steve. I want to say zero. I think it's a, a I'm going to say three. Three. Close. There's four venomous oh, snakes. Get yeah. out. Yeah. Really? Not in Quebec, though, John, so you're safe. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a lot yeah. of snakes, but they're, they're more like humans looking. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's the perfect end of the show. Yeah. That's the perfect way to end it, John. That was the only like, answer? That was the only question? That's it. That was the that was the 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 skill testing question that we go I with. I thought it was zero. I don't think we had any venom. I would answer zero if if I went first. So I'm glad I didn't. Yeah. No. My kids. My kids were into snakes the other day. They were, uh, <laughs> and so I had to look it up. And I thought, you know what, John Limniatis may know this question. <laughs> no, no. I know a lot of snakes, but like I said, they're they're not they're not slithering on the ground. They're standing yeah. up. And, yeah, that's right. All right, well, John. We appreciate it, man. Like. It's an honor to have someone of your stature on the show. It really is. So thank you so much. I always did my best, guys, to, to, to I had soccer always in my heart in Canada. And I always tried to represent it as much as I could. Uh, 
you know, yeah. we can only do our best and, and, and hopefully everybody does a little part uh, to make things similar because for me, soccer is a, is a real personal yeah. issue. You yeah. know, I, I want Canada to be one day known as a, as a soccer country. Yeah. I really do. You yeah. know, and we're, we're still, we're working, but we're still a bit. Yeah. Hopefully when, uh, when all this COVID's over, me and Steve can take our U11s down to play at Lakeshore. Absolutely. Boys or girls? Boys. Boys. Oh, boys we'll bring as many. Maybe. We'll bring boys, as many as... Girls, you don't have a chance. <laughs> no. All right. We challenge accepted. Good. All right. All right. Thanks, John. You guys, seriously. You guys ever want to come? There's no problem. Cool. very much for listening today if you haven't already please subscribe to the podcast and of course leave us a five-star review if you want to get in touch you'll find us on instagram at soccer snob one on twitter at soccer snobs one by searching for us on facebook and of course on the web at www.soccersnobs.ca backslash listen you can leave us your opinion give us any comments and if that's where you want to get nasty feel free to do so